Who the hell are you? I'll tell you who the hell I am, Pia. <laughs> who the hell do you think you are, Priyamalani? No. <laughs> Listen. That could be your thing. Well, that I, I love that. I, I stole that from you. You had it in your original deck. Who the hell are we? Fucking love that. Oh, thank you. It's still on our new website. It's still on my website, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> Was it on your website? It was in your, I, it was in your deck. Oh yeah, that yeah, you yeah. Sent us. Well, yeah. Well, you know. And then we made a website, and it's like, who the hell do I think I am, or who the hell am I, or whatever. Yeah. We're so contrarian, you and I. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm talking to one of my earliest brand up clients who has since become one of my besties, rebel of Wall Street and boss of her business, Priya Milani. Priya is the owner of Stash Wealth, a financial firm for Henry's, which stands for High Earners Not Rich Yet. She's a highly sought-after thought leader in the millennial money arena by some of the nation's largest publications and has been the featured expert hundreds of times, including on Brides, The COVID Tour, Bustle, Pure Wow, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and Forbes. She serves as the resident financial expert for Refinery29, and she speaks regularly at businesses and universities around the country and has been invited to speak at Cornell, Harvard, New York University, Yelp, Twitter, Ernst & Young, IBM, and more. She also appears regularly as the millennial money expert on Sirius XM radio. Everyone wants money and investing advice right now, but that's not what this episode is about. If you really want to get your financial shit together, go to her website, stashwealth.com. We spoke recently, and in our conversation, we covered the topics of what Priya did to go viral and how you can too, the problem with having overnight success, and what it actually took for Stash Wealth to weather the storm. How, even if you want to build an empire, being loved by some and disliked by others is still the key to success. And that consistency and persistence pays off when entrepreneurs do exactly what I say, which, if you ask me, is the highlight of this episode. So buckle up. Here we go. So this is called Show Your Business Who's Boss. And I wanted to have you on, Priya, because... You're such a boss of your business. And it's not just about being boss of your business. It's about being the boss in how you show up for your business and your life. And one of the things that I really love and admire about you is that you do not take no for an answer in terms of getting to where you want to go in your business. So what does it say in those books behind you? It says either I win or I learn. I never lose. Yeah. So I feel like you should have that tattooed on your ass or something. Cause that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly how I think about you. Yeah. And you would totally do it if I dared you. So you work hard and you play hard in a way that I, I think a lot of people say that in a kind of a hashtag work hard, play hard way, but you actually work hard and play hard. You are the only person I know that when I'm up at six o'clock in the morning, I can text you and you are either <laughs> walking along the river enjoying some tea or you're like on a conference call with India all the time. <laughs> like you do not. And this is after you spent all night out drinking and hanging out with fun people. I don't know what you're doing when I went to sleep at 9 p.m. So Hold I don't on. really know I'm how you get away. Show me. I was at this store, this like novelty shop, and I saw these little cocktail napkins that said, shut up, liver, you're fine. And I was like, yeah, that, that's, I need those. But I only have a couple more years in me, Pia, let's be honest. I am, I've been superhuman through my 20s and 30s, but I, I only got a couple years left. Yeah. Well, finance will do that to you, right? Mm, also true. So let's take it back a second and remember wistfully how we met oh so long ago. I know. I mean, literally, it's been it's been a minute. We were introduced through a mutual contact, a guy I used to work with at Merrill Lynch. And I had said, listen, I'm trying to start this company. I want to revolutionize. The word disrupt, like this was so long ago, the word disrupt wasn't even really a thing. Then it became interesting and now it's just totally overused. And he was like, I know just the person for you to speak with. And I can't stand that sort of an intro because everyone's got a guy and everyone has someone who worked well for them the one time. 
And so I was like, fine, I'll, I'll talk to this person. And that person was you. And we were looking to create the brand. I mean, this was, this was early on. I had ideas about what it was, but I had no fucking clue what I was doing until I met you with regards to the brand. And that was uh, back in 2014. And we chatted, we did the brand shrink. I got it. I got how it was perfect for us. You wanted to, you were in financial services. You wanted something that was totally different. That was exactly what we were doing or that what we felt like we were doing. But we still pitched you the big project because that's what we were still doing when we met. Yeah. And Priya, you guys, you weren't our first brand up because we had been doing small versions of it over the past year, kind of secretly. Um, right. With people here and there. And you needed a full brand. So there was no way you were one of these little small projects that we had been doing. But you were the first legit brand up that we did. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, because basically. I know at the time you guys didn't make it seem like it was the first time ever. Well, because but. I, well, because it, it, at the time it wasn't because we were doing them already. I just kind of expanded what it was to fit your needs. So what happened mm-hmm. was I pitched you, I think back in like April, the big projects that we were doing, because we were doing those big projects. I think I quoted you $30,000. It was going to be a six month project. I had the whole, the deck where I said, who the hell am I? Uh, who the hell are we? Who the hell are we? And then I think I had a photo of the Bedford L stop with a bike leaning against it. Yeah. It's one of the pages. I still have that deck somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Those are funny because they're, they're so beautiful and long and such a waste of time. But I pitched you that and you guys liked it. And then we didn't end up doing it because it was, it was too much. I mean, you guys were so new at the time. So new. And it was, it was, I mean, I understand. It was, that would have been, and plus you had spent a lot of money already doing what you had been doing. And so, oh, yeah, we had a brand and a website, like a whole thing. So then I was like, God, this is so in line with us. And this is exactly what we do. And they need us. And they're awesome. And we could be best friends. Okay. (laughs) What could we do? And that's when we said, how about we take this? this brand up and how maybe maybe they'll be willing because I remember you kept coming back to me and kept calling me and you kept telling me Pia like this is perfect for us but I just can't pull the trigger I don't remember what you said but anyway that's when I was like okay well maybe we could do it over two days so then I said okay we said look oh I said to you I said Priya I know you want to work with us we want to work with you we can make you something awesome if you trust us going to have some serious trust in us that we know what we're doing. If you trust us, then we can take this price down from 30000 to like 5000 Yeah, and, and we were like, we'll do it in two days. You'll allow us to make those decisions. Not that you have no say, but we're not going to drag this out for six months, but we can rebrand you. And you said, okay. And then we went to Killington for wine tasting. And then we came back and did your brand. Wow. Okay. Thanks for... That's what reminding me. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. And your brand has blossomed so much since then. I mean, that was our, you know, back then when we were doing a two-day brand up for five thousand dollars, it was it was in many ways pretty minimal compared to what we do now. I mean, it was a basic yeah. website, but it was the foundation of your brand. It was basic, but it was still pretty comprehensive. I mean, you helped me nail the the the, the, the brand voice. We hadn't changed the name yet, but the, the website was speaking to pain points. You you talked to me a lot. You just, you taught me a lot and about, it was almost, you taught me a lot about sales, marketing, and branding all in two days. And I just happened to run with it. Yeah. And you ran with it. So let's talk about that. So, so basically what happened is we did your brand and then we, and then you moved to our neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Like a week later. I wanted to be, I wanted to be close to you. <laughs> so you'd, you'd never been to Brooklyn before. You came to never. our office a couple of days in a row and you were like, I think we'll just move here. And then you were our neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For five years. Serendipitous. And then we became, and then we became fast friends. And, and we have a hashtag. And we have a hashtag, which we can't share here. <laughs> no, no. Hashtag Pia and Priya. We can share that one. Oh, oh right. <laughs> <laughs> We can't share the other one. Okay. And hashtag Pierre and Priya take over Brooklyn. And I was there as your friend and unofficial business coach for the first, (laughs) you know, big first years of your business. How do you remember those first years? Like the six months after you rebranded? You know, 
<clears throat> one thing I will say is it's it's not just a brand because like you you gave me the brand, you gave me the website, you gave me the voice, but then I had to do something with it. And I think that was still required working through. So uh, while we walked away, I, I was kind of at the point where I was like, okay, she's given me everything. If I can't do it with this, then I can't do it. So it was trying to figure out what that meant. You had put a lot of questions in my head that I had to then go back and answer. And I had the foundational elements. I had the, you had set up the blog, you had set up the website. We, everything was ready to go. We productized your, your plan. Yep. We productized it. The concept of productizing it what in and of itself was the genius move that I hadn't yet made. Yeah. And, and that was, that was a big shift for you in that sure. you were disrupting this industry and they don't charge for it. So just explain a little bit about what that step is. Yeah. Yeah. Here I am calling myself the rebel of Wall Street, trying to really do something disruptive. And I really wasn't being as disruptive as I thought I was. And I think what you taught me to do was really listen to my audience and give them, meet them where they're at, give them what they need rather than sort of just repackage what was already out there and like make it look a little more modern. That, that wasn't enough. We really had to think about, so for example, you talk about how financial services, people don't charge for it. I mean, they do, but you just don't see the fee. And that was ultimately very confusing to our consumer. Right. Because your market is younger. They're younger. They don't have trust in Wall Street. They don't just walk in and say like, oh, I, I'll, sure, I'll give you my money to invest. They don't even have money to give. What do they have? And like, so that was the problem. Part of it was I was selling asset management services, but they had no assets to manage. So you're like, can you just help them with their credit card debt? And I was like, yeah, of course. Sure. And then like just conceptualizing, okay, this is, this is what I need to be thinking about. I need to be really in tune with their pain points and... But yeah, that, that, that foundation. And, and also, I think what the brand gave us was the confidence. I, I felt shitty selling off of my old website. And I felt super badass and cool selling off the website you built. Well, you guys, that's the funny thing. And that's why I knew it was a match made in heaven. Because when we met you and we heard you talk about it and you were so lit up and on fire talking about what you hated about the financial industry and what you guys wanted to do and who you were for and that you, you know, wanted to help people who didn't necessarily have, what was it, like $500,000 in assets. There's a whole bunch of people, young people who want to be financially savvy and don't have $500,000 in assets. And you want to help those people and they deserve to be helped. And you guys were just so lit up when you talked about it. And then we looked at your website and it was... it just Embarrassing? Went, no, no. It, you know what? The design, you have great taste. So the design was very nice. That's the thing. Steve and I never want to talk about design as in terms of good or bad. It's just that it wasn't what you were saying. Mm -hmm. It didn't match. It was blue. It was yeah. like, it was like Meryl blue. <laughs> we're not Meryl. We just look and talk. <laughs> right. Well, it said somewhere like rebel of Wall Street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're like, that's not really that rebellious. So, you know, I think, I think as much as like, we we gave you that from what i saw it was really giving you the permission to be really who you were because Absolutely. that's who you were we not wanted to match that yeah not in just the brand but in the way you talk and the way you advise and guide and think about brands and marketing i it was it was so refreshing to me and really sunk in i cannot thank you enough oh thanks i didn't bring you on here to Give me a testimonial. <laughs> I brought you on here because I want to pick your brain a little bit. The other thing that I remember about those first few months and even about working on the brand was that you had the brand in you. You know, you showed up as the brand. And I feel like I had to convince you or maybe I felt like my biggest job in rebranding you guys was just to convince you that you were the brand and you were an awesome brand and you were the brand that this brand needed to be and you needed to unleash that. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Because what you did in the following year, and at first, I mean, you didn't jump right in. I don't know no. if you remember this, <laughs> but I think I told you you need to start writing and you need to start building this brand, right? Like we're giving you the foundation, but you're the brand. You got to start talking and creating it. And I think, I mean, and I'm, I'm glad I said this because the brand is so out of your head, even though you don't write all the content anymore. But I remember at first I was like, Priya, everything that comes out of your mouth is amazing content. Like put that down on paper, put that out there. This is 
the stash brand? I remember resisting. I was so not into writing. That's crazy to hear. Yeah. Don't, don't you, you don't remember that? Like you were like, okay, you have to start putting, you literally created the newsletter. And I was like, what am I going to do with this newsletter? I'm never going to do it. And what was funny is I committed to doing a newsletter that was bi-monthly. And from the day you started this, this is a fun fact. I don't think, you know, from the day you started it with me in 2014 through today, we have never missed one. We've been, we've never missed one. Wow. That's that 4am thing. Yeah. Yeah, it sometimes is. But like, if you don't want to fucking do the hard work, then don't fucking start a business. You are so intense. (laughs) I cannot believe you've never missed my monthly newsletter. (laughs) That's music to my ears. Well, and you guys send out more than that now. No. You know why? We made a brand decision because you taught me stick to the brand. We know... We know that people don't give a shit about reading finance content more often. So we are we are bi-monthly because you don't want a fucking finance tip every like not even just maybe a finance tip, but like people have lives to live. Finance is not the only thing they're thinking about and we would be a little too egotistical as a brand if we were constantly pushing out content more often. It's finance content. Sure. Please teach me a little bit about how to be smarter with my money. Every couple of weeks, that's great. Just give me something new to learn. But if you bombard people, that is, that's what Wall Street does. And that's what most financial firms do. And guess what? Most people unsubscribe to their new- newsletters and ours just has continued to grow. Your newsletter is one of the best newsletters out there. I don't subscribe to other financial newsletters, but I'm still going to say it's the best financial newsletter out there. <laughs> it's one of the only newsletters I open and read. <laughs> and truly awesome. enjoy. And it comes with a with a special cocktail recipe in every single one. I mean, just that alone. Yeah. And it's funny, right? Because when the brand started, we were uh, a regional company. So we worked just predominantly in the New England region. And as it's become a... Na- and we, So what we, we used to do happy hours actually in person with clients, which is something we haven't done in over five years, almost four or five years. And so we took the concept of that cocktail and we said, well, happy hour with Stash Wealth, what is it going to mean now? And so now it became part of the newsletter where we put cocktail recipes into the newsletter. It's way more fun to talk about money over a cocktail. So that's how that started. I love that. And that is the icing on the cake that that builds the brand. And I love that that's always in there. But the content itself, the topics, the way that you write about them, it's approachable. It's speaking in a language that clearly resonates with your target market. It's hitting the points that are on their brain. It's just it's so well done. Anybody, everybody should subscribe to the Stash Wealth newsletter, A, because they give great advice and there's great information in there and B, so you can see what a newsletter should look like. And 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 it's still... Yeah. It's still branded with the name that we came up with in the brand up. It's still called, we, we still call it financial cliff notes. We came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. That came, that came out of the brand up, uh, financial cliff notes. It's still called that. I love it. Yeah. That's another thing you taught me about being on brand and being true to the brand. I think I overdo it a little bit now with how many things I have trademarked, but (laughs) I've gone a little crazy, but we just, yeah, financial cliff notes because it's, we all grew up with cliff notes. It's of our generation and you helped me to like see that. And we just changed the blog. We have a new name for the blog. Not that you have to have a name for your blog, but we call it the F word. (laughs) I don't know if you know, we just, we just rebranded that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. So Here's another thing I I've watched you do. You well tell me if this is if this is accurate. I watched you resist writing, but you did it anyway. And I remember it's at certain points you'd be like, "Why am I doing this?" I remember you texting me, "There's a hundred people on my newsletter. Nobody's reading this. Like, why am I wasting my time?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kept and I kept telling you what I tell you. You would just tell me to do something though, and I would do it even if I hated it. Yeah, a few people do that. I'm always telling people great stuff to do. They don't listen to me at all. <laughs> That's the thing about working with you is you know what you're talking about. If it doesn't work for people, it's because they're not doing the work. Well, obviously I agree. Uh, <laughs> but, but I watched you continue to do it and build your voice. Because even though you yeah. were your voice, there's a difference between be- being your voice inside and being able to express your voice outside. And I saw you get better and better at it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The first couple blog posts are rough. (laughs) Of course. Everyone's are. Everyone's are. So you, I watched you do this work, not really get why, because nobody's paying attention. And, you know, because at first you weren't getting the clients at first. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And then 
January 2016. January 4th. January 4th. What do we call that? (laughs) D-Day? Day? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Going viral day. You tell me what happened. An article went viral. I remember sitting on my couch reading it and thinking, oh, this is cool. And I was just on, I, I, I don't, I wasn't paying attention to work at that moment. I just saw it come through in my email and I was reading it. And, oh, this is a good article. What was it? Where was it? Tell us a little more about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had started about a year, not a year, um, seven, eight months prior, I had started collaborating with Refinery29. How'd you get that? Oh, late night, staying up, pinging people on LinkedIn. And finally, an editor wrote back to me and loved the voice, loved the brand. See, the brand was there to back it up. And we said we were the expert on millennials and money. And when you went to our website, it actually looked like a modern, young, hip, cool brand. It didn't look like, you know, Vanguard's website or Fidelity's website. So she believed me and I was able to back it up because I'd built the voice through the blogging that you made me do. And so she was immediately like, let me get you in touch with our, you know, head of work and money. And I started collaborating with them on a more regular basis, became eventually, I mean, I worked with them ongoing as their chief resident, resident financial expert for, God, three or three and a half, four years. But anyway, the, the article that went viral was through Refinery29. And yeah, I mean, I think we booked 400 calls in like 48 hours. Yeah. I remember you calling me, can I tell this? In tears. I was crying. Yeah. I cried to a lot of people in that month. We got invited to speak at Harvard. We got a book deal. Um, I cried a lot. I cried to my mom. I cried to you. I just Yeah. Because the way that we had set it up was you had this initial plan, financial plan, now the stash plan. I think it was the stash plan then. Yeah. Um, and it was it was there. It had a set price, and there was a and there was a link to book a call and a link to buy it. And that day, you called me in tears because you said I didn't realize that my calendar was set to be able to continuously take call bookings, and there's no limit. So seventy calls have been booked in the next couple of weeks, and we've sold. I don't remember how many you sold, but you're like without even talking to me, which is not something that had been happening previously. Without even talking to me, right. we have like we like dozens of people have bought this thing, this stash plan, <laughs> and my calendar is completely booked for the next foreseeable future. And what the hell am I going to do? And people keep booking because this this article is just going everywhere and people are booking into February and March. And what the hell am I going to do? And I remember saying to you, like, careful what you wish for, Priya. That's exactly what you asked. What did you say you wanted? This is what you wanted. You were like, I know I said this, but I'm not sure I'm ready. I know. I know. Not only was I not really ready, but we had to become ready in like a matter of minutes. Um, We just had to be ready. Hired a full-time employee. I, my business partner quit his day job and joined. I had literally, there was from one to three of us in a matter of days. And I, I was going to tell you that I, I don't know if you know this part, but in, in this is really important for business owners to, to realize, like meet the opportunity where react. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say what happened was a lot of the, the, the demand, m- much of it was appropriate for the stash plan. Much of it wasn't. What was it appropriate for? A product we hadn't yet built. So in a matter of 24 hours, I built another product called the Smart Money Debrief that then immediately at a much lower price point, and we just started selling those like hotcakes. So not being shy to say, oh, I don't do that. I mean, that's also perfectly appropriate. But for our audience, it made perfect sense for us to be able to service them. And so literally, Pia, I don't know if you know that, but we built that in like 24 to 48 hours. I emailed, we had a design team and by that point, and uh, I had them create what I needed them to create. We got it up on the website and we started selling that too. It was incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you, so much opportunity fell into your lap. Fell into yeah. your lap. Sounds like you didn't do the work. You had been doing the work for a year and a half to get to that point. But this, all this opportunity was right in front of you and you are the kind of person, and I don't know if I am this kind of person. So this is what I admire about you. You're the kind of person who's like, oh no, I'm not letting any of this go to waste. I am going to throw up a new web page, have a new product. Like I am going to take advantage of the fact that I have, you know, 70 calls booked in the next couple of weeks and and whatever they need, I'm going to make sure I have something to sell them. And you guys were going gangbusters. I mean, I know you weren't sleeping those, no. those first few months. No, that's not a joke. Like, oh, we didn't sleep much. No, I we, know. we really didn't legit, sleep Don't sleep. Much. Yeah, yeah. And... and 
if if that if you're not cut out for that, that's fine. It's but we didn't sleep much. We uh, had to learn all the things overnight. There was so much more to learn. I had to like figure out Adobe for contract signing because up until that point, volume was such that we could do everything via mail, which was old school, but but it was fine. And then all of a sudden, everything had to become digital because I couldn't sign 400 clients up overnight via paper, like mailing them contracts, which is how the industry does it. You go to your financial advisor's office and or he or she email or rather mails you, snail mail mails you your contract. So I'm like up in the middle of the night creating a new product, um, managing all the inbound traffic and figuring out how to set up Adobe. We had to get Salesforce up and running. We we didn't have a CRM, but it all it all just happened. And it forced us to do it quickly. And even if you don't make the right decision, I I, I, signed, I signed up with Salesforce. That didn't last very long. I right. hope they're not a sponsor of this podcast because um, they're fantastic. But you, if you're a small business under yeah. five employees, you don't want to pick Salesforce. I just, I was, I was in my mind like, oh, we're going to be Merrill Lynch tomorrow. I should use Salesforce because it's in, like, in, you know, enterprise ready. Anyway, so you make some stupid decisions, but the point is as a business owner, make decisions. If you fucking waver, if you wait for other people's opinions, you cannot as detrimental. You have to make decisions even if they're the wrong ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, (laughs) I think it was incredible what I saw you do over those couple of months. And, you know, you, you were presented with a huge challenge and opportunity to take your business to where you wanted to go and you met it and you didn't sleep to make that happen. And you have a business, and we'll talk about this in a second, but you have a business that you that affords you a certain lifestyle now and that you're growing into quite an impressive company. And I talk about it like how it helps you with having the life you want and the lifestyle you want. But, you know, you and I are both people who put our nose to the grindstone and work hard in order to have that kind of business that gives you that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, you know, Ultimately, I was building it to create a flexible lifestyle for myself. But actually, that that article go, going viral totally changed how I thought about the business and what I was willing to sacrifice. So I went from my goal being work-life balance to realizing there was an opportunity to grow this into a much bigger institution and have therefore changed my priorities around the lifestyle my income, I don't pay myself very much in order to turn it into something bigger, which is now what I, it's what I want. So before I wanted a little bit more balance. Now I do work around the clock. I do work on the weekends, but that's because I'm much more excited to see this become a national brand that one day sits next to Charles Schwab and Merrill Lynch and, you know, is around a hundred years from now. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to change your goals. Agreed. That's my point. Yeah. And I think that when you're first starting, when you're first getting those first few clients, if you brand in a way that has the huge, I want to be Charles Schwab goal, it's really hard to say, get your financial shit together. Yeah. Right. Because I remember when we first went, we, I feel like I'm part of the team. When, when you first went out with it. And I remember those first few months, you sent some emails out to different people that you had already known. And you forwarded me emails from people who were saying, "Mm, I don't think you should say that, you know, that doesn't feel professional or like, that doesn't feel like right with the industry. I remember you like sending it to me being like, Pia, like, is this, you know, I'm a little nervous. Maybe we should pull it back a little bit. Yeah. And now we have doubled down. We double down on being bold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't give a shit what you say these days. No, no, I I was just doing a people love it. I was doing a four, I was doing a panel keg side. It's called keg side chat here, uh, and the majority of the audience it was like forty middle aged white men and a couple women in the audience as well. And I, oh my gosh, this is probably not to be included, but just more for you, Pia. I. I even went, I went, I, I dropped as many curse words as I could and I was as brazen as possible. And it was just so much fun because that's our brand. And you taught me either if you're going to create, you have the best quote, you give it. I, I can't do it. If you want lovers, the haters, the... If you want to be loved by some, you got to be okay being misunderstood or even disliked by others. By others. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I know how to own that now. We're not the right brand for you. If it doesn't fit well. It's so funny you say that because I remember distinctly a couple years ago, I was sitting on a panel at some Chamber of Commerce event in Manhattan. And I wasn't, I wasn't even being as brazen as I can imagine you were being at that thing. 
but I was saying badass this and badass that because that was, you know, that's my brand, badass your brand. And I was talking about this exact concept. You know, people will love you or hate you, but that's okay. Just don't worry about the people who don't like you. And at the end, afterwards, when everybody was mingling, somebody came up to me and said, I was sitting in the back next to this older gentleman who turned to me and said something about how what you were saying he didn't think was appropriate or it was unprofessional. And she told me that story because she said, and I turned to him and said, yeah, that's exactly what she's talking about. You're not for her. And so like, thank you for getting it. And, you know, but it's funny that people can like, while I'm saying it to them, they don't get it even in that moment. Yeah. You know, oh man, too good. I love it. So yeah. So it's it's really hard to embrace. This is just my observation of other people, too. It's really hard to embrace your badass brand and voice if your goal is to be a huge national company, because if you're thinking national company, you are in you are inherently trying to appeal to a lot of people, everybody. Right. You, you're trying to get market share. You didn't start by necessarily wanting that. You went out there with a brand that people you knew they didn't like it because the financial people that in your life said they didn't think it was a good idea. And then you got to experience how many people actually love it and then saw the opportunity to go big. And, and I try to tell people that like it's it's not you're not trying to turn people off and you have to stay small. This is the path. Even if you want to be a big company, this is the path to that. It's being super exactly. specific in your voice. Yeah. Nichifying. That's so, so true. It's one thing to tell people that, that, that you have to be okay and being comfortable and be brave to be hated or disliked or misunderstood. It's another thing to experience the benefits of that. I cannot tell you how many meetings, this was back when I was still doing, you know, client meetings we'd come off of and clients would cry and be like, oh my God, I am so grateful for you guys. I tried to talk to my parents' financial advisor. They made me feel like shit and made me feel stupid. I tried to walk into my bank. They were trying to sell me something. I can't believe we found you guys. Wow. And that and that was that was all. I mean, you had said it to me. I just experiencing it made me double down. Wow. And see, so what an amazing reaction to get from clients. And I know that that's what you're doing. I mean, I know that your heart has always been in this client centric. Yeah. yeah. Very client centric, wanting to help people. I mean, even from the beginning, I was like, you know, the, the problem with the model is that these people have no money. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> I want to help the people with no money. And I think a lot of people would build a brand where they're trying to explain to people how much they care about how helping people who don't have any money and how, how you don't have to necessarily focus on that as the message in order to have your clients experience that as your brand. Absolutely. Especially if you don't want to come across salesy, which is, I think the beauty of you, you teach how to address the real pain. You, you teach how to understand what they want and give them what they want. And so they're asking for it. You're not even selling them. Right. Well, I hate selling. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah. There's no sale, right? There's no sale. You're just, oh, this is what you're looking for? Cool. We happen to do that exact thing. Right. Or, oh, you want that thing? We don't have that. Sorry. <laughs> also, also true. Also true. In fact, that's another thing you taught me that I absolutely love. I love turning people away. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people that I'm like, it's addictive to say no to people. You got you to gotta believe me. They don't believe me at first, but say it again. <laughs> I love turning people away. Nope. Sorry. We don't, we don't do that. It's so funny because literally a lot of clients finish the stash plan process and they're like, oh my God, can you do this for my parents? And the sales call, with, we, we always make the parents do a call with a member of our team and the call ends by telling them, we're not going to change our style. We're not going to change. Like the marketing is still what it is. The messaging is still going to be a little bit more PG-13. Sure, you can buy it, but you're going to have to be comfortable with that. And some parents are like, yeah, 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 totally. We're millennials at heart. And some are like, uh, actually that never happens. They, they all buy it because it doesn't, ultimately they, they want someone to help them get their financial shit together. And that's what we do. Right. And, but we're, we're cool enough to say like, yeah, we're not changing our, our model for you. Yeah. And, and yeah. I like that you say that because you're saying like, don't give us a problem. We don't, we're here yeah. to help you if you want us to help you. We're not here to convince you. 
Exactly. I mean, I think to me, at least the fun of saying no is not that you're, you know, saying no to people, but it's like, it's the fun of not trying to convince people. I mean, that's what sucks about sales, right? Okay, here's this person and they don't like my brand and I'm going to try to convince them that I actually can help them. It's like, that sucks. That conversation feels awful. (laughs) You feel like a loser trying to convince someone they need something that they don't want. It puts you in a very vulnerable situation and that decreases your confidence and ultimately that decreases your close rate. Well, I also think that it makes the whole conversation more authentic, regardless of who you're talking about. If you are coming from a place where you know you're only going to offer the stash plan, or in my case, the brand shrink, if they actually are a good fit, people can sense that. Yeah, true. You don't have to convince them. No. So I want to put a pin in something that you said before, because it is like you are probably the best example of this that I've ever seen, which is that that story we were talking about on January 4th, when your article went viral, and all of a sudden you went from working with a client here and there and sending them paper to sign Mm -hmm. to having to hire and start working on all these stash plans that were being sold without you even talking to people. That really feels like an overnight success moment. But that was a lot of time in the making. And there were a couple of things that had to happen. You had to have the wherewithal to hire someone to redo your brand. You had to be bold enough to actually embody it and do the work to create that brand voice. You started your bi-monthly newsletter, which you have to this day. That bi-monthly newsletter and the brand and your badassness of reaching out and and approaching Refinery29 is the reason that you had this partnership. And then you had published other articles with them before? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you had published multiple articles with Refinery29. Everyone thinks when they get, oh, if I get that partnership or I get that placement and everything's going to blow up. No, you had published articles. Oh, it was like... Eight, nine months of, of work. And it wasn't, they weren't our only partner. We were working with a couple others as well that didn't go viral. Um, but I mean, obviously created backlinks and partnerships and all kinds of other things, which were great. But yeah. Yeah. Took some and time. you did all that work and you kept doing it. This is the key, guys. You kept doing it. And then that article went viral. The, the key to having a viral piece of content is to create tons of content. Yeah. You can't create one viral piece of content. You create tons of content and then something hits. And I had the same experience. I've had the same experience with my articles. I think people don't get that. And I I hear a lot of my friends who own marketing firms have clients come to them and say, I need, I need, I want a viral video like that one. (laughs) You know, I know that drives marketing people crazy. Silly. My favorite business quote that relates to this is by Biz Stone, who's co-founder of Twitter. And the quote is, Timing, perseverance, and 10 years of trying makes you look like an overnight success. Mm. Luckily, it took you less than two years to have that moment. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But we're, we're moving on to... Oh, yeah. We're, we're approaching... Well, I know we, we're year seven now. So, yeah. Is it really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we were in business before we came to you by about a year and a half, two years. Right. So I don't count that. <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. That was... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't count your, your, your young Merrill Lynch brand as you guys being in too much business because it wasn't the business you have now. And, and same with me. I mean, this first, the first few years, I mean, what were we doing? We were just stumbling around. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to talk about, because that was a big moment for you, but you've had so many big moments since then. You're, you're fucking famous, Priya. I mean, you're Priya Milani. Founder of Stash Wealth. If you go to Stash Wealth and there's some press page there, right? Mm -hmm. It's insane how many links there are to how many places you have been featured and quoted and like you're everywhere. You've created a space for a different kind of approach and voice to financial planning for millennials. And it's with your help. With with my with my pushing and kicking in the ass here and there. But, you know, I kick a lot of people in the ass. They don't do shit. <laughs> you did all of it to the nth degree. And I want to I want to ask you, how did you get in all of those places? Like we all want to know. How are you how did you make I'm going to say make yourself so fucking famous cuz you are. Well, first of all, we have to be authentic and have a really strong brand voice. You you taught me that. Like if we're saying the same thing that everybody else is saying, why would somebody use us as a source versus anybody else? So like even even the fact that like part of Stash's brand, we don't believe in budgeting. 
came out of conversations in the brand up that we, if we talked about budgeting, like who isn't talking about budgeting that's a financial firm? And now we've made a claim, we hate budgeting. It's a dirty word. And even just that messaging, all of a sudden it's, it's something new and journalists need, they need new stuff. Like otherwise everyone, their, their piece is no different than all the other personal finance pieces. And so once I became sort of known, like I was saying, writers read other writers work. So if they see someone quoting a really cool source, check out the website, the website looks super cool. Wow. This person is saying, don't budget. I'm writing a personal finance piece for my company next week. Let me, let me reach out to this source. I mean, honestly, that's just how it happened was people, I might've done the first two or three bits of outreach, but it, it, it just started feeding on itself from there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's even more organic than I thought. But I think it's an interesting point to highlight that as you created the content, I, I really think it's it's the act of you creating the content is where you found and nurtured a lot of these ideas. Because you guys, like you said, you went trademark crazy. That is, to me, a representation of going crazy with the idea of kind of packaging ideas and owning them. You know, yeah. you developed the idea of of the Henry, high earner, not rich yet. And you own that. You you own the idea of not budgeting. You own the idea of talking. I mean, you tell me, like you own so many ideas and you can't own those ideas in your own head. You have to own them on the screen, on the web. Yeah. And we didn't coin Henry's. It was originally coined in a Fortune article in 2003. But when I stumbled upon it, no one in the financial services, it's crazy how many people now use the term Henry's. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, a lot of people. And that's fine because obviously it helps our SEO. So I like that. I like that people use it. I think more that Henry's get familiar with the term Henry's and realize they're Henry's, the more they're going to Google financial planning for Henry's and guess who's the number one <laughs> search for that. Right, so so it, it, yeah, six, seven years, or I guess more Henry's came about about five years ago. Yeah. Just ultimately not being afraid to be first and ultimately not being afraid to try something that doesn't seem like it's working for a really long time because it's not going to work for a really long time until it works. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we, we own our ideas, trademarking the concept of being responsibly reckless, trademarking, get your financial shit together. That was a hard one actually to put through the U.S. patent trademark office because it included a curse word. Really? What? They don't <laughs> yeah. trademark curse words? Yeah, they don't. Oh. So we had to, we have S-H asterisk and then Oh, really? T. Yeah. thought you were just being coy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny how many people have reached out and told us, oh, that's so vulgar. It's like, yeah, you're not. You're really? Not Really? Yeah, well, many, but, but people have. Yeah. That's so funny. vulgar. That's so silly. Yeah. I well, I love it. Makes me happy. Right. I mean, I, I had the same experience, you know, badass your brand. People thought I was so uncouth. Yeah. I And that's actually what made me hire. That's like why I chose you. Because <laughs> right. I was like, finally, someone who's not saying the same shit. Right. Exactly. And of course, now everyone says badass and I'm trying to figure out what to do about that because it's like whack-a-mole because I trademarked badass brands. We own the trademark for a couple of iterations of badass Iteration. branding, but you know, it doesn't stop people from using it. It just means that you can defend your trademark, which, mm -hmm. which I'm, which we do left and right. You know, I'm not really that into the idea of going after people until I learned that you have to defend your trademark in order to keep it. Yes. At first, I was going to let people do whatever they were going to do. I was like, well, you, you know, we're the badass your brand. That's my book. Like, I own this idea. And if people want to say it, go ahead, say it. It doesn't it doesn't hurt our brand. But then when my our lawyer told us, if you don't defend it and go after them, tell them cease and desist, you'll lose your trademark to it. That's so annoying mm -hmm. that that's how it works. Yeah, that's how lawyers get paid, I guess. Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah, got to have someone out there. Got to have someone out there defending it for you. So paying. It's expensive. Exactly. But it just goes to show that if you want to be at the forefront of doing something interesting and new, you have to be ready for people to tell you it's not a good idea, to tell you, to email you and say it's vulgar. Is that what they said? Yeah. Vulgar. Yeah. Me too. And then, of course, at some point, the tipping point, and then everyone's saying it and everyone says, oh, that's just <laughs> obviously that's it's cool to say the word badass. I'm, I'm not annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here's the other thing I wanted to ask you because, you know, you're obviously the one who shows up on all the interviews. You're the one on Cheddar and at the stock exchange and, you know, wherever you're the one being quoted. And then you and I have had many conversations over the years about, you know, the Priya Milani brand. How do you feel yeah. about that? Where are you right now with I mean, that? 
I haven't changed from our uh, Brazilian brunch was the last time we discussed this. This was a very heated conversation where you were reminding me of, of, I guess, of the opportunity. I'll put it that way. But I'm adamantly against the idea of being the face of the brand. I'm the face of the brand right now while I need to be. But ultimately, I'm not trying to build the next Tony Robbins like empire. I'm trying to build the next Merrill Lynch. And if somebody were to ask somebody, who's the face of Merrill Lynch? There is no face. Like that, that's sort of silly. So Charles E. Merrill, Charlie Merrill was the founder, but the brand is bigger. I'm curious why you said I'll be the face of the brand like as long as I have to be. Yeah. Right now, the way that our brand gets visibility is through me as an f- influencer being a millennial money expert. Because it's easier. That's how we get exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For I sure. Mean, it is easier. Right. I mean, how would you really, who would be out there marketing the brand? How would you market the exactly. brand without your face? Exactly. We don't have money to put that kind of Google ad spend out there. We, we, we don't have that budget. So in essence, I've been, the money that I, yeah, I think you were the one who brought my attention to this. I, I was like, oh, it doesn't cost anything for me to do these things. And you were like, no, no, it does cost. It's the value of your time. And right now I'm in a situation and many founders are in the situation where you have to, that's the trade-off you make. Yeah, I guess. I think it's interesting that you are, I, I mean, I have a similar f- feeling about it. I'm, I'm not as, I'm not reluctant like you are, but I too put my face and my personal brand in the forefront because I realized, I don't want to say it's easy, but like how much easier it is to market your business with a personal brand. Because correct, it's easy to see Priya Milani and believe her and like her personality. And she's the delivery method for this story and this brand voice. Yeah. And it's easier. Like, that's why I keep telling people, you know, it's it's really these days you if if not i like what you said about the google adwords like if you're if there isn't a face of your business if you're not going to be the face of your business you have to do a completely different marketing strategy which has which requires a lot of money yeah yeah absolutely this is definitely the easier cheaper route for now for now but we're but we we're looking to bring in we re- recently just hired we're currently hiring for a, a director of marketing position and we've sort of taken a mosaic approach but we have people helping us to figure out how to position the brand and get it out there nationally it's already out there because of publications like you mentioned were quoted in all the you know Forbes CNBC other national publications but we need to be doing it ourselves besides just through through the media right now it's just cheaper to use me letting me out <laughs> Hey, <laughs> that's what they're doing. You gotta do what you can for your business. Yeah, yeah. What 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 do you mean by you doing it instead of the media? Can you elaborate? Yeah, I think Stash Wealth has to be responsible for getting its name out and getting in front of people, not just through utilizing other people's distribution networks. I mean, that is a very smart way, and we've leveraged it to the nth degree. So, you know. Like the fact that CNBC wants to quote us is lovely because they have really good reach. The fact that, you know, Bustle or Pure Wow or Girl Boss or whoever wants to quote us is great because they have millions and millions of followers. But eventually, like you don't find out about a new Coca-Cola product because you read necessarily an article about it, right? Like Coke markets. And I think ultimately that's what we're looking to do as well. Like like what? Give me an example. I mean, right now the low hanging fruit. Like we're looking to build drip campaigns and do some retargeting via social media. Mm. We haven't really spent a lot of money on social media, digital marketing. So starting to actually create Instagram and Facebook ads and Facebook just changed their algorithm. So there's like, there's, I just don't know that world and I'm, I'm looking, you know, to have an expert help us. But so yeah, I would say retargeting social media, advertising, eventually doing some Google ad placements. And then in addition to that, obviously I'll continue to guest speak and and guest author and be an expert commentator and do all those things. But eventually the it'll shift to where less about our sales is me being out there and more about our sales as the brand has built a reputation and there's awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's such a smart path that you've taken because by building all of the traffic and the visibility through earned media, 
which is you yep. being out there, you have built such a robust presence online. You've proven the brand voice. You've proven the model. You've proven that when people come and they come into your world and your funnel, they get on your email list like that you get clients consistently from that. And that is the perfect time to invest in paid advertising. I think people go too quickly to paid advertising before they've proven anything. And then they don't know why it doesn't work. Like you have got a, you've got a a fire going and paid advertising for you is just pouring, you know, gasoline on the fire. Yeah. I absolutely love that. That was an article you wrote for Forbes that I quote a lot. <laughs> I quote it so much. No, the you had said something about, this has to do with fundraising more than anything, but that was another thing that we didn't do uh, was we didn't raise. And I think that's a very interesting step for, especially for a wealth management firm, mm-hmm. financial services, like you need money, especially when you're deciding to work with people who have no money, but we've bootstrapped this and it's been a slow burn, but it's allowed us to really understand what what we need to do in terms of like what we need to sell and how we need to sell it and how we need to price it. And that's your whole point of like, if you take, if you take money too quickly in your journey, you end up treating that money. God, what is the exact thing you say? It, a fund rate, venture capital should be uh, f- lighter fluid. Yeah. It shouldn't. Oh God, like I'm going to butcher it now. I always say it now. Oh. Yeah. But I mean, exactly what you're doing. Like you, you're not taking money to start the fire. You should have a fire right. going. Yes. The money should really yes. uh, grow it exponentially. And also, right. obviously, if you're taking money, which, you know, most of the people I'm talking to are not looking to take money. But even if you are, and again, like I'm always focused on that super lean, really efficient, profitable lifestyle business. But that doesn't mean that I don't personally, and also at many of my clients and, you know, people who take my courses and stuff don't necessarily want to grow in that way. We You can, but having that profitable brand and foundation first is the first step to growing in a scalable way. It's so much mm. harder if you're going straight for the scalable and you don't take the time to create a business that makes sense and a, and a brand voice that clearly resonates with your audience. And that's where I think a lot of people get tripped up. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Also, they get impatient too. I think it's very difficult to keep going when it doesn't feel like it's working, but you you, you can't see the traction. But that's what we did. Mm-hmm. We were just sort of like masochists about it. Like it was painful. <laughs> we're like, okay, like we just you keep going in that direction. It, eventually it works. I think people always talk about like, well, when do you pull the plug? And when you decide it's not working? I mean, obviously you have to be aware enough, but we, we had been selling. Like it just wasn't, we knew people wanted to buy what we were selling. We just hadn't hit that point where, you know, volume was there. But eventually we knew volume would come because people were buying what we were selling. So we had to just be patient and know that the the, the funnel would eventually, the floodgates would open, I guess is what I mean. Too many people give up too quickly. And how did you know to stick with it? Well, that that's what I'm saying. Like I wouldn't have stuck with it if people weren't buying what I was selling. So making sure that we had the right service, priced in the right way, marketed in the right way. You, I think you were, you said something about, oh, I don't even know if you'll remember this advice. It was so long ago, but you had said something like, as soon as 12 people have bought what you're selling, raise the price. I've, I've uh, lowered that number quite a bit since then, but yeah. <laughs> have you? Okay. That was the number when, when we were talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but realizing that people were buying what we were selling was ultimately, when they weren't buying what we were selling, we were tweaking, we were right. figuring it out. And then, and then we, and then we kept at it. They were buying what we were selling, but they weren't buying it very quickly. And not a lot of people were buying it. You just have to stay the course. And not a lot of people knew about it. I mean, in that first beginning year or so, you just don't have enough people that you're talking to. Fair. You know, I think a lot of people give up because they blame the wrong thing. If you talk to five people and none of them buy your thing, it doesn't mean your thing is not good. Those five people just might not have been a good fit for your thing. Right. That's very true. And now, I mean, I, I even, you know, the model that we use, which is super high profit for a service business, it's like, do you know how many people read my book and read these articles on Forbes? You know, this is thousands and thousands of people every month. And, and we're only looking for like a handful of clients. And we're, you know, if we had the price lower, we'd have more clients. 
but we're really just looking for that sweet spot. <laughs> that sweet spot of as few clients as possible, making as much money as possible. So we have time for other stuff, but it's a numbers game. So if you're selling, if you're trying to sell like a super premium product or something and you only tell it to five people and they don't buy it, you, you can't really take that. That's why raising your price periodically based on sales means you're testing the market. And that's what you guys did. And you've raised your price yeah. quite a few times since the beginning. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we have. I mean, the stash plan started at like $547 and now it's $1,497 for individuals and almost 2000 for couples. Yeah. It started around 500 bucks. And it's still a steal. It is still a steal. Um, actually, that's something I need to, uh, we have to go back and address how to, how to explain that, that you know, it's a $3,500 value, but we don't even, our industry is so heavily regulated. We can't even make claims like that. So how have you been recently? Like with all this stuff? COVID? Mm-hmm. We did move our whole team to working remotely. But what's crazy, and I almost don't want them to hear this, they're working long, longer hours. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fucking nuts. I'm I'm thrilled. And I'm obviously, like you said, I'm up at 6 a.m. working. But when every, my rest of my team's on Slack at 6 a.m., it's pretty exciting. I get pumped. So that's been kind of fun. Clients have appreciated the handholding. Not a single client is asked to take money out of stash because we are there to hold their hand and prevent them from being their own worst enemy. And one of the biggest thing, mistakes you can make in finance is pulling money out of the market when the markets are down. So things have actually been pretty good. We're hiring. We have two open positions right now for director of marketing and financial planning. We're actually hiring two financial planners. So if there's any financial planners listening, we have two openings. So things are good. Someone just told me the other day, this is like a great time to start and invest in your business and find really great. I mean, I, I don't mean to say this, like taking advantage, but like get people for less money now. Yeah, absolutely. Right? No. Yeah. It, it's just being opportunistic. And I mean, if you're not opportunistic as a business owner, then you're probably a pretty shitty business owner. Now's a good time. Come on. You time. know it. You know it's true. I wouldn't say it just like that, but yes, I agree. There's <laughs> lots of opportunity right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you guys have our money and I have not wanted to ask you what's happened to it. And that's part of yeah. why I love working with you guys. Cause I'm like, so, oh my God, if, if you guys weren't looking at it, I would probably be freaking out about what I shouldn't, shouldn't be doing. And instead right. I get to just ignore it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't yeah. ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, that's okay. You can ask and many clients do ask and mm -hmm. then they write back and say, thank you so much. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have you to explain this to me because no one teaches this kind of stuff and you automatically uh, give into fear. And when the markets are down, people think the best thing to do is sell. And anyway, I don't want to turn this into a personal finance lesson, but. Well, I knew that we weren't going to sell. I was just doing a back of the napkin, you know, math figuring out like, oh my God, did we really just lose that much money? And then I did text you that. And I think I said like, what's the deal? And you said, if you don't sell, you didn't lose money. Oh no, you said that in a, in a article. Yeah. You, said you didn't that. sell. <laughs> yeah. This goes back to like one of the quotes I uh, have our planners use on meetings with clients, which is back in 2008, 2009, when the markets were down 40%, most people panicked and they sold and they lost 40% of their money. People who didn't panic, who stayed the course, they're up over 300% today. Wow. Wow. It's very difficult to do. It's very difficult. Even even professionals have a hard time um, staying. The I mean, we're only human. Like yeah, yeah, it's so hard, which is right. why we believe in automation and there's a lot, lot of other right. technical things. But yeah. Well, that was the other funny thing when I called you and I said, how are you doing? You were like, what do you mean? Everything's on sale. I just put tens of thousands of dollars to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to J. Crew when during a sale. It's a good time to buy, especially for the long-term investor. And as since we work with Henry's, they're all long-term investors. Right. So now is now is a fantastic time. It's almost like rewound time for us. If you didn't get to take advantage of 2008, 2009, now, well, not even today because the markets are back up, but yeah, it's still a good time. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it was really nice talking to you. I like having people like you on my inner circle because a lot of people fear-mongering, talking about all the doomsday. And then I call up some of my my entrepreneurial friends who are like, great opportunity. Everything's on sale. Putting money to work. It's like, fuck, where do I find money to put to work? I got to send them more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is the truth. And you're in a pretty, I mean, I guess I wasn't sure if you were in a pretty recession-proof kind of business. Well, I mean, 
listen, part of our revenue model is based on assets under management. Other part of our revenue model is flat fee. So for the flat fee stuff, the, the, it's not like because the markets have gone down, the cost of a stash plan has gone down. Right. Certainly the assets under management has gone down, but we're not, we're not in a position to be worried yet. Right. And it's long-term anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, this would be a great time for people to get into the market. No, it is. Uh, I think that's what we were saying. Yeah. 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 Because I do have, I know a couple of people who are sitting on a bunch of cash because they never wanted to get in. And it's like, yeah, it's because they think of investing like gambling. Yep. They see the markets go up and down and they feel like they could lose their money. But if you're, if you gamble, AKA buy single stocks or try to buy a trend like Bitcoin, sure. Then you could lose all your money and that's not smart investing. That's gambling. And you know my line, if you want to gamble with your money, go to Vegas, they give you free cocktails. But if you want to invest, then yeah, now's the time. Get in, buy low, and don't look at it, which is the hardest thing to do. Don't look at it. No, that's the easiest thing for me. Don't look at it. Well, it's not easy for most people, so you're a badass. I think of it as like, every time I send Priya and Rob money, it's gone. (laughs) Like, I think of it like I'm sending you money. (laughs) I remember even at one point, I was talking to your partner. And I said, you know, he like mentioned the money that was in there. I was like, oh, I keep forgetting that we have that because <laughs> I'm like <laughs> writing it off when I send it over there because I just, uh, to me, it has to be like that. That is not ours. You know, that is for the future. And I don't yeah, want to operate like future, I Pia. have that. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, operate like that's even mine. Like I operate with the money that we have. I invest with other, you know, other people's money, banks money, payback. Do you, do you ever give advice on that? You're a rare bird when it comes to that. I think we've talked about that. You're an incredibly good risk taker or risk manager, I should say. You're really good at managing those sorts of risks. Like I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know how much detail you want to get into. No, I was just curious if you ever give people advice on that stuff. Uh, it's, not like, really a, it's not really related to stash planning. Anything related to money can be part of the stash plan. But do you mean like when to and not borrow, when yeah. to or not to borrow? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there are times when using like interest-free credit cards to take loans when you're certain you can pay it back, like makes sense. But obviously, it, it really depends on the business. You you generate revenue in a very healthy way, so there's there's really no concern. But there, yeah, you're you're really good at that. That's actually something I admire about you. Thanks, you're sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, you're probably going on a lot of podcasts and and people are interviewing you. I know you just did an interview about what's happening right now in the market and how you should operate. You know, I don't want to talk about that here. People can go to your website and go read the fantastic articles that you've written and go to the links, get on the newsletter where I'm sure you'll share it and go listen to her amazing advice there. Because I don't want to talk about that here. I want to talk about showing your business who's boss and what it means to really build an empire because that's what you're building. Stash Wealth is is an it's already an empire, but it's going to be a really big empire. And actually, what's going on right now, I'm looking at it as the opportunity to double down on these businesses that we have that are really strong and take it to a, another level because a lot of people are going to clear out right now. A lot of businesses yeah. are going to close down out of fear. Tons because they can't handle it, because they can't handle the pressure, because they can't handle the cash flow. So those of us who are able to double down on our businesses and invest and grow, we're the ones who are going to make it out on the other side. Mm. How might you use this time to grow your business? Or how do you see this time to grow your business? You kind of answered it before. Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people are getting laid off and uh, they're or their salaries are getting cut. And if you're in financial services and you already basically feel like your soul is being sucked when you go to work every day and then your salary gets cut by 20 to 50%, you're ripe for the picking and stash wealth's hiring. So we're we're actively hiring, even though necessarily we may not necessarily have all the revenue to be able to support all the new talent that we'd like to bring in. We're going to figure out how to make it happen because now's a time where a lot of people are making changes and reevaluating their situation. So that's one way in which we're growing is by bringing on talent. You heard that here first, folks. Stash Wealth is hiring and looking for talent that is ripe for the picking. <laughs> Hopefully my listeners can send some awesome people your way. On- Badasses Thanks. only, please. Stash Wealth Definitely. Does, not, <laughs> does not take people to think the word no. it is vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> we want rebels, more rebels to add to our team. Yeah, looking for rebels. All right. Well, Priya, it has been a pleasure as always to see your face, even though everyone else can't see your face. 
It's been a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you. Thanks for coming on and just being so candid about your business. It's such a beautiful business. And even though you've been doing it for seven years already, it's like you are really at the bottom of a really big mountain that you're just going to soar over. I know it because I've been watching you grow. It's really exciting to see. Thanks, Pia. Couldn't have done it without you. That's not true, but I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, Pretty. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. For more no BS financial advice from Priya and the badasses at Stash Wealth, go to stashwealth.com. Their newsletter is a great example of what it looks like to really own your brand voice and to create content that will attract raving fans and might very well turn other people off. Also, if you know any other entrepreneurs who struggle to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that really makes the difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. I'll leave you with this. Taking inspiration from Priya today, try thinking about something you might really want to say in your business, but might be a little nervous to say because you think it's going to turn people off. That might just be your first step in showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistant by Kristen Runvik. Creative direction by Steve Wasterball. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners.